Longhorn Nation. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas is back, folks. Oh, yes. Oh, Christ. We're back. Welcome back to the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. I am Josh here, joined by Noah in the wake of a blowout win over Rice. And just like we've done after every game so far this season, let's turn to the hot take line to get some thoughts from someone who isn't us. Uh, this is Keith Miller out here in Clifton, Texas. I'm going to tell all the Longhorn Nation, do not drink that Kool-Aid tonight. That was a hell of a score, but just don't believe it. My O-line is still terrible. Our running backs are awesome. We do not deserve B. John Robinson. I'm going to tell you that right now. That man is a beast. The fact that he graced us with his presence, we are all fortunate for that. But not just him, all the running backs are talented on that team. Thank Y'all need to thank all of them for being at the University of Texas. And don't believe what the LHN broadcasters are doing because they're just selling you all that crap. It's Nice to look at. It's powder-coated, whatever you want to call it. It looked okay. But when you really start looking at this game, go back and rewatch it. Everybody, just rewatch it. That first interception, if we're playing anybody other than Rice, we're losing. Like, what are you talking about? Our running backs are getting hit in the backfield. They're having to make the plays happen. Don't buy into it. Now, once we get into next week, we'll see what happens. But just please don't buy into it yet. Just take it week by week. See what happens. I appreciate it. Hook them. I'm always going to be a Longhorn. But just I'm tired of drinking this damn Kool-Aid week in and week out of Hey, yeah, we're so much better than we were. Yeah, we got our shit kicked in by Arkansas. No, that really happened. Like, don't let that shit. I'm sorry, but just don't believe it until we actually start doing it consistently. I mean, at least if we played Arkansas to a close game, some crazy shit like that, it would have been okay. But. We'll see what happens next week. You know, Pete's defense has to show up. Our offense has to do a little bit more. Our line needs to actually get in front of people. But, damn, our backs are awesome. Hook them. I'll live long day. Awesome. Thank you, Keith, for calling in. Always great to hear from the community with their thoughts on the game. If you are wanting to call in and give your thoughts just like Keith did today, 512-677-4578, and you might be able to make it on the air. But yeah, I mean, Keith, Keith's right. I think it, it, this is one of those games that you try not to overreact to. Obviously, scoring eight, scoring 58 points is a lot. Giving up zero points is great. But you have to remember the level of competition that we're playing against. This is the second G5 team we've played this year. Admittedly, Rice is not Louisiana Tech, or L- Louisiana. Rice is not Louisiana either. 
that that's a, a a much weaker team especially with the injuries to the quarterback that they sustained throughout the game this is one of those ones where as as much as you really want to be able to say that things are looking up it's hard to take anything of real value away in that that type of game it's that's certainly true uh you know we've been snake bitten a little bit before i think last year even uh, after your utep everybody was like whoa the offense is so different Mike Yurcich is going to fix all our problems. Look at what we did against UTEP. Uh, and then that wasn't quite the case. And, you know, I, okay, I'm not going to get too into it. I do think that it was kind of a different offense, but then we turtled up more as the season went on and we struggled a bit. Uh, but then even <laughs> – so, yeah, I just want to get that up there. Uh, but, you know, and then I think, what was it, Herman's first year we beat San Jose State or whoever it was, like 56-0, something yep. like that. So it can be difficult to take away – anything from these games uh and that's kind of i think this is a good time for me to say as a disclaimer i only really rewatched the first half of this game seriously like i've seen the second half you know i know what happened but I'm, i didn't go through and actually break down like individual plays or watch how each lineman performed on each snap in the second half because you know not only is it an issue with the level of competition but then you also have backups rotating in. The pace definitely changed. The game plan started to change. Uh, we weren't trying to put up another 44 points. So it just there's even less to take away the longer the game goes on. That's what I'm getting at here. Are you going to say that the all gas, no breaks thing did not continue? In the I, half, that we just did not just lay on the gas. Steve like Sarkeesian is a liar. You heard it here first. Fire Steve Sarkeesian. For lying to us. He turtled up. We were only up by, what was it, six scores? Not yeah. acceptable. Not Herman would have put his foot down, damn it. We would have won 73 to negative five if Herman were still coach, but instead we got Steve, Steve Sark. Mm-hmm. But Keith also mentioned uh, kind of the, the two big points for the offense. Obviously, I, I think the one thing we can take away from the Rice game is, is where we saw negatives in the first half. And the, the O-line certainly struggled at points throughout the game both in pass protection and run blocking and i think that's more than worthy of cause for concern i think so too it was not great uh i so watching it back i didn't feel like it was just our guys consistently getting beat like one-on-one like it's not like rice was throwing them around by rag dolls or like arkansas where they're just getting punched in the mouth that kind of thing like there certainly were some instances where our guys got beat one-on-one which you don't really want to see Uh, but I felt like it was a mix of guys getting beat and then also just really poor execution of assignments Uh, and some of it was just really basic like there was a play early on in the game where uh, Angulau was he had I can't remember if he pulled but he was essentially starting a double team and then moving to the second level and this is kind of something I noticed on multiple occasions and it wasn't always just him I'm just using him as an example here but he kind of didn't really actually create an effective double team. He just kind of blocked his own guy in the back. Like he was there, but wasn't really engaged in the block. And then in the process of trying to get to the double team, because he was pulling, I'm remembering now. So he pulled, he kind of ran into his own guy. And then in the process, he missed the guy that was actually his assignment. You know, he needed to help establish position with Kirstead or whoever. And then he needed to get to the second level and block the linebacker. Uh, but instead he didn't. So the linebacker came shooting down the gap, uh, just completely unblocked. And, you know, I'm sure that Bijan trucked him and then ran 70 yards or something. But point being, 
the guys aren't executing the scheme on the level that they need to to be successful. So that stuff is more fixable, I think, than guys getting beat one-on-one. So if you're looking for good news, then there is some. On the other hand, the uh, the not-so-good news is this is Junior Angula, fourth year in the program. You know, he's been around as long as Casey Thompson. They were in the same class. And he's still having these issues with Kyle Flood now at the helm. You know, this isn't a new concept for him. He's playing on the opposite side of the line. So just, I don't know, it was weird. And then there was like a pass play where they gave up an unblocked pressure and Kerstetter wasn't blocking anyone. And it wasn't Kerstetter's fault because the guy came from the left side. It's just a poor, I don't know if you want to call it a pre-snap assignment or poor adjustment by the line, poor communication, whatever you want to say. That stuff needs to get worked out or it's going to be a big issue. Yeah, I guess there's not... I mean, I'm sure someone who understands the offensive line better than us can probably point to some individual failures better. But I, I think that is, I think you're right, where it's more of a situation where there's just a lack of lack of chemistry with the offensive line right now. And unfortunately, it's not going to get easier this year than it was against Rice. It's not, We're into the conference schedule now. Things are only going to get harder. Uh, so Kyle Flood's going to need to find ways to get those guys to gel uh, sooner rather than later. So... So far, not looking great for your hot take earlier this season that the offensive line would be up for the uh, the Moore Award or whatever for, for best O-line in the nation. But I guess it's not impossible. To be fair, I did say I thought that they would be up as a finalist for award. But I also added that it's not because I thought they were going to be a great offensive line. It's because I thought that Bijan was going to make them look so good. I thought they would be mediocre average, which they're not. So it's still a failure of a hot take, but it was like, I just think that the offensive line is going to be acceptable. And I think Bijan is so good. Uh, and you know, the pass blocking will at least be decent. So, but no, I get it. There's, it was not a great hot take. Yeah. And Bijan don't, don't get, don't get it twisted. Bijan was great in this game as was Roshan Johnson, as was Keelan Robinson, as was Jonathan Brooks. Basically everyone who touched the ball as a running back looked really good in this game. It was really impressive. Four of our scholar of our six scholarship running backs scored a touchdown. If you are Will Bazer, you did not remember that we still had <laughs> Gabe Watson and Daniel Young on the roster. So you credited the top four guys as the entire scholarship running back room. But five of them touched the ball. Four of them scored touchdowns. Really impressive all the way around. It, the, the run game did not completely evaporate when Bijan was not on the field. No, those they're all dudes, and they all they all bring something, right? Like I don't I don't think that Bijan and Roshan are super different, I guess. But uh, so I can't say they all bring their own unique element. Uh, but Keelan Robinson certainly brings something unique, uh, and Roshan is really good in his own right. He certainly won't be breaking as many tackles against better defenses. <laughs> you know, he's not going to break two tackles and then reverse the entire length of the field and have Casey Thompson out lead blocking uh, for him in conference play. I think that's unlikely, but he's he's a dude, certainly, and I'm glad that he's, you know, getting to show it because Bijan is certainly the, the workhorse of the group, but I'm glad that the other guys are still getting their own uh their own opportunities there i really like getting the opportunity to see keelan robinson just turn on the jets and and keelan had a great game not just on uh on offense but playing special teams as well with that huge block punt what was that to close out the first quarter uh force that safety he got to show off the jets we heard about it when he transferred that he was a quick quick guy got to show it coming off the edge getting the block punt 
And then it's almost comical watching his long touchdown run. He's got three Rice defenders at least a yard in front of him, and he just walks through them like they're standing still and just blows past them and is ton of separation before he hits the end zone. It is yeah. <laughs> it's not even like it, it it's it looks so cartoonishly weird that it almost hits the point where it doesn't look as impressive as it actually is. My favorite guy to watch on that play is the cornerback because he's getting blocked and he gets off the block, you know, but so there's maybe a yard between him and the receiver, but he knows he's got outside contained, so he's kind of backpedaling and stuff. It's a pretty normal sequence of events. Gets off the block and then needs to get in the way and get to the ball carrier. But as he's processing all this, Keelan just runs by him. <laughs> like you can uh, like see the moment where he's like, okay, okay, I got this. I got this. I'm off the block. And then suddenly Keelan was like five yards behind him and he's just like, oh crap. <laughs> uh, yeah. So like turns and by the time he's turning to sprint, like it's, it's too late uh, by the time he realizes what's happening. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's kind of fun because I am trying to think the last time we had a real barn burner in the backfield like that. It's been a while. Probably Jamal Charles, honestly, was the last one who had just straight-up speed like yeah. that. Yeah, and that's not to say that Keelan Robinson is Jamal Charles because that comparison gets whipped out a lot. <laughs> so I want to I defend you from all the Jamal Charles uh, stands that are going to be in the comments like, oh, Keelan, what? No. Um, right. No, it, it's just since Jamal Charles, most of the successful running backs at Texas have been the more power running back, the guys who are just going to run through guys rather than just run away from him. Keelan is definitely closer to Jamal Charles than most of the backs that we've had. Maybe like, I mean, even first couple years before the Achilles pop, Jonathan Gray was not just run past people. He was, he still had that, that power to him. Not that Jamal Charles was incapable of breaking tackles and running through guys, but yeah, Keelan much more would rather run past you than run through you. Uh, again, one last time, Keith from Clifton. Thank you for calling in. Uh, 512-677-4578 for anyone who wants to hit up the hot take line and possibly hear yourself on a future episode. But with that, let's sort of keep talking. I think the big story coming into the Rice game was obviously Casey Thompson taking over the starting quarterback job for Hudson Card. And I think all things considered, despite the fact that he was now the first Texas quarterback this year to throw an interception that was more on the offensive line than him, really... I thought Casey Thompson looked like he played within himself, which to a certain degree I think is what this offense needs is a guy who's going to be stable and just do his job. Casey wasn't necessarily looking to take the deep shot uh, every play, but he, w- he was being smart with the ball, just getting the ball to the guy who's going to get the yards. If there was an easy play to be made, Casey was getting the ball to the guy who could make that easy play. And I, I think to a certain degree that – level of comfort with the offense was nice to see after we the last thing we saw from Hudson card was him just looking pretty pretty frazzled against Arkansas right I it was a good game by Casey I again it's just tough to take anything away from the game he didn't connect on any really deep shots not to say that he didn't have some like good passes downfield like the back shoulder throw to Xavier Worthy but I think he took four deep shots in the first half that i remember there's the one that was picked which i still put some of that on him because he he took two steps like he kind of double clutched to get the ball out so if you see a guy coming and you take two steps that's kind of on you to you got to get your base set quicker than that and just get the ball out and then what there was one that drew a pi penalty and then one where the guy tripped up and it should have been pi but they didn't call it 
so it's hard i mean we can't say that he missed on any of those deep throws but you also can't say that he hit deep throws and that's what this offense has been lacking so far is the ability to hit on some of those deep passes that a they just help something you know sark talks about in his nike conferences it just helps you move the ball it's hard to sustain a drive if you're going first down to first down every 10 yards for 70 yards it's just hard to do that even against you know even if your offense is really good it's not sustainable over the course of the entire game so you need some chunk plays to move the ball that's been completely absent thus far so time will tell if casey really is an improvement in that area but i I certainly think that he looked good you can't really argue with that Uh, yeah and and the theme for all of this like you said is just it's you can't take too much away from it because it was rice uh if hudson card was a starting quarterback could we have seen a similar game yeah i mean it doesn't seem out of the question that hudson card would have been able to deliver the same things but ultimately we unfortunately can't make that direct comparison but what we did get to see from casey thompson was generally good quarterback play which is what a good quarterback is supposed to do against a team like rice is is be steady and be reliable mm-hmm. well i was i was just gonna say like one of my other big takeaways was i thought that this was the most sark like game plan uh where we really saw kind of his full bag of tricks and again i don't want to be well, I guess I'm going to be really speculative, even though I don't want to be too, too speculative and add fuel to fire. We don't know how much of that has to do with Casey Thompson being the quarterback, right? Like, does he feel better about running the full playbook with Casey than Hudson? You would assume not because he named Hudson the starter. But there was also a lot of stuff we saw in this game that he just hadn't brought out in the first two games. And maybe it's because he didn't need to against Louisiana. And then we never got more than three plays going on a drive against Arkansas. So there, you know, there are other reasons. It certainly seemed like the offense as a whole was just humming pretty much the entire time you already mentioned Xavier Worthy I think he had a pretty big game had that one catch against Louisiana didn't really get a chance to be a factor against Arkansas but had a couple big plays found the end zone which was nice uh to I I think the main takeaway there was who knew that your big time hyped skill position freshman uh would be allowed to score touchdowns before the ninth game of the season that's really the only thing I took away from Xavier Worthy getting in the end zone (laughs) Throwing a little shade there, uh, Josh, someone? Not at all. I never would do that. (laughs) Okay. I don't have a whole lot to add on Worthy. My big takeaway was kind of the same thing that Sam Ocho was saying during the game is, you know, he's not a big dude, but he plays physical. We all knew he was fast. Uh, We all heard good things about him in camp, and he showed all that, but then he also kind of took it to some defenders even as he was going out of bounds. So that was good to see. Hopefully he can hold up over the course of a full college season, but if he can, it's it's looking like bright things ahead for Xavier Worthy. Yeah, and if he can continue to be a big part of this offense, I think he becomes a critical sort of showpiece if you're Steve Sarkeesian continuing to recruit guys like Brennan Thompson, like (laughs) Evan Stewart, and say, look, look at what we can do with a fast guy. You're not just going to run streaks. Uh, We're going to coach you up on how to do everything, and you can still be stupid fast and stupid successful in this offense. That becomes extremely critical. So Xavier Worthy being successful this season could pay dividends for Texas on the trail in in short order. Yeah, Brandon Thompson was there on his OV. You know, I hope that Sark didn't base his entire game plan around a recruit visit, but it was nice to see that uh, Sark, I think, was much more aggressive about featuring the guys that he considers to be difference makers on offense which apparently includes Xavier Worthy. Uh, Jordan Whittington didn't get the same treatment, which was a bit surprising. It seemed like Sark was kind of recommitted to the idea that, okay, this offense isn't just 
I'm going to let Bijan run the entire thing. It's that I need to get my best players the ball, one of whom is Bijan. He's going to be our workhorse. But that also includes Xavier Worthy. I mean, maybe Whittington. I don't, I don't know what was up with that. But, uh, you know, and we need to get these guys involved with things like the jet sweep from the first drive right away. So I thought that that was like good to see him being aggressive about that, even against an opponent like Rice, where you can be tempted to say, it's just Rice. We don't need to do anything or show anything. He was willing to actually commit to getting the offense back on track as aggressively as he could. Yeah, and then on the other side of the ball, uh, obviously defense pitched a shutout, looked good at times. I think there were some little things in the the run game that I think gave me some pause uh, where it seemed like the the Rice running backs were not struggling to find space necessarily, and I I think that was an issue with the the linebackers. seemed like they were getting caught up in the wash at times. What are your thoughts as far as the the defense's performance? Right, we did – so we talked about it a little bit. I don't have as many concerns about the run defense, but again, this is also mostly basing it on the first half. Uh, I've just, I just don't see there being enough value in the second half to really break it down. So I think that that's where some cracks started to open up. There was the one run play, which was a really cool play, but where they pitched it to the back, but it was a run designed to go up the middle with the pitch and with all the blocks, you know, pulling the guard and tackle. It looked like it's going to the outside. So of course. Luke Brockermeyer runs to set the edge aggressively and Overshone's kind of frozen because he sees the back running upfield and he yeah gets caught up in the wash because he starts to run to the edge and then try but and then BJ Foster just takes a bad angle and this is a tackle so the running back takes off for 20 or 30 yards I was on the driver they got the missed field goal at the beginning so that's not to say that I think the defense was great uh I think that there was some problems with um actually I thought that we were bad against play action which maybe it's because it's rice and you go into a game thinking rice is going to run the ball so <laughs> like 70 percent of the time yeah i thought that it was fine i guess hard to take a whole lot away but we still didn't get a pass rush and i think that that was kind of concerning kind of concerning that it seems like we aren't able to get a rush outside of you know maybe ov can get the a pass rush on his own and with some design blitzes like overshones has a really good knack for getting up the middle and pressuring the quarterback whenever he's brought, but that's not really something you can do every play. So I can certainly see there are some things to not be super excited about from the Rice game on defense. Yeah, and I'm I'm just pulling it up right here for the sake of argument. To I, I don't remember exactly how many sacks we ended the game with. Let me check the box score on ESPN real quick. So we ended the game with, with three sacks, which, again, based on last year would have been one of our better games with the, with the pass rush. So I don't think that's necessarily a, uh, a positive. I'm not going to say, oh, things are fine with the pass rush, but I think it shows how, how much Texas has struggled in developing a pass rush for the past several years. And it seems like that is continuing to be at least something of an issue uh, heading into this season, especially considering we weren't able to rack up a whole lot against the weaker teams on our schedule as we head to conference play. Yep. We knew that we had missed Joseph Osai. Who could have possibly predicted? Complete surprise to everybody. Um, and then the we'll talk about the, the third unit. Uh, I think Texas's special teams, outside of continuing to have some concerns, I know I think I have expressed more concerns in the past than you have as far as Cameron Dicker's play, but our special teams, I think, is really good. Who knew that hiring arguably the best special teams coordinator in college football would result in reliably good yeah. special and who, teams play. They're Blake Gideon, you know, as well, special teams coach. Was it I want to say there was another guy on staff. Was it uh I'm totally blinking on the linebacker coach. Choate. 
yeah, was it Choate that also has special teams experience? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, you're not only bringing in the guy many say is the best special teams coordinator in the country, but you're bringing in other guys with significant special teams experience. So, who knew? Just, we're learning a lot here, Josh, you and I. I know. Well, I mean, since 2014, <laughs> I was under the impression that special teams was optional and you didn't really need to even know that your punter didn't even need to know that he could be blitzed when he punted. We've come a long way. It's it's on the field teaching. There's no better way to learn that you don't simply decline the coin toss or you don't <laughs> you don't play. There's no better way twice. to learn that you can end up kicking off twice than to do it. There's no better way to learn that you get blitzed whenever you're punting than to do it. Michael Dixon certainly never forgot. You know, yeah. we might criticize Charlie Strong, but did he ever kick off twice again? No. no? Checkmate, Josh. Yeah, and Michael Dixon ended up winning the Ray Guy Award, so maybe there's yeah. something to that. Michael Dixon was incredible. Yeah, that was that's Dicker's problem. He just didn't know that you get blissed when you punt. Or, I mean, he did know. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss is really what this comes down to, and Dicker is unfortunately not ignorant, so we do not have bliss. I mean, just because it was rice i really don't think there's a whole lot more to go in depth talking about we won the game 58-0 and so now we're two and one we did what we were supposed to do not gonna say okay everything is fixed all those problems that we had against arkansas are now fixed but we can at least say we did what we were supposed to do what and what texas is supposed to do against a physically overmatched rice team this is what's supposed to happen so not special not giving Steve Sarkeesian any special props, but there you go. You did what you were supposed to do on to Texas Tech and the start of conference play for the Big Twelve. Yeah. Only so the only other thing I kinda of wrote down during my rewatch is uh I actually didn't have any negatively charted plays for any of our skill position players. Uh so that's pretty good. That means there weren't tight ends getting beat on their blocks. Uh there weren't wide receivers missing blocks downfield there weren't drop passes that's not to say that every receiver was open on every snap because that's i mean that's not how i had to find a negative play but yeah uh, i everybody was assignment sound they all put in effort on every play and did their jobs and that's i mean that's what kept the offense humming right was was play of our skill position players so yeah and speaking of tight ends welcome back jared wiley back to the score column yeah. had a couple big plays after some injuries to start the year so hopefully that continues to go that way because he can also be one of those best players on the offense uh, if he can mm -hmm. stay healthy and we can start getting him more involved in the game plan yeah i totally agree i'd love to see really all of our two back and two tight end sets i like i think that they're the best part of the offense right now having wiley out there and i i you know i assume that he's going to continue to rehab that shoulder i don't know if it's like 100 percent healed or what percent he's playing at right now um, but kind of as you're saying as the season goes on i'm hoping that we can expect more out of him. He just needs that Rob Gronkowski Megatron arm thing that Gronk had in, in New England where it seemed like he just had the, the bionic arm on, on the left side or whatever it was. Yeah. Just give that to there Wiley. Was, there, was the, there was also the Tyron Smith method, the uh, Cowboys offensive tackle that would wear a knee brace on his elbow whenever he hurt it because <laughs> it was so large i mean wiley's not that big but he is six eight so i don't know maybe there's something there all right so on to texas tech kickoff this saturday 11 a.m at dkr so home in austin again then we'll be on the road for a couple weeks and then we'll be back uh, sort of a weird schedule we don't really just do the back and forth between home and away like we typically would so yeah first game of conference play Texas Tech has played three games. I believe they have won all three games. Uh, but they really haven't...
played anyone super notable. Like what what do what do we know about Texas Tech in this short time this season? Well, uh, we know that they are better than Rice. We know that they're probably still not that good because uh, I don't know. I'm not a big Matt Wells believer, and I guess this isn't specifically related to Texas Tech, but I know that I hate 11 a.m. kickoffs. Uh, so that kind of sucks, but it is what it is. I mean, the the way I phrased it uh, on the subreddit on our, on our Longhorn Nation earlier today basically amounted to, I like 11 a.m. kickoffs simply because it tells me earlier in the day Saturday whether or not my entire weekend is going to be ruined. See, I like those extra hours of hope, Josh. The uh, My trip to Fayetteville would have been so much worse if I was miserable at noon instead of at 7 p.m. I, I don't know. It's better to have loved and lost than never have loved at all for those six hours. Well, the the one thing that we can be absolutely certain of is that once again, all of those club seats right around the Longhorn in the south end zone will be empty because it will be hot as balls. Yeah, um, we God, we got to, and by we, I mean CDC's got to do something about that because, uh, I mean, I, I wasn't at the game on uh, this past Saturday, but the crowd was big considering it's rice, considering we were just coming off a spanking the crowd showed up good and those seats were still empty i guess if i i guess if i paid a stupid amount of money to attend a football game i'd probably go into the air conditioning too yeah i think it's just going to be something that's going to take time the novelty of being able to go into the club level or um into the club itself will eventually wear off and we'll start to see people trickle in i don't know if that happens this season or next season or two seasons from now but at some point, I think that's going to change. It's just going to look really, really bad for the next little bit here. But I think really there's two two primary players uh, for Texas Tech that I sort of want to focus on. Uh, Tyler Show, and then th- there, that's the Texas Tech quarterback. Has already thrown for 800 yards this season. Feels like standard Texas Tech to have a guy who puts up some numbers and also is a little turnover prone. Uh, and then you also have the wide receiver, Eric Ezukanma. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong, but Eric Ezukanma. Ezukanma. I'm never going to say it right. Uh, that dude is legit. I, I will come out and say that. That dude is scary good and is just sort of continuing even post Mike Leach. It feels like Tech has always had at least one scary wide receiver uh, to put the fear of God into Texas fans' hearts. And that is definitely Ezukanma right now. Yep, I feel the fear of God with mediocre wide receivers sometimes, and Tech <laughs> certainly always does have a, <laughs> a scary good one, uh, and so I have no doubt that he's going to get his uh, this weekend. You know, I do think that it'll be fun, and I'm looking forward to it because a good test for Deshaun Jameson and Josh Thompson and the other guys at corner, because we really haven't... I, I don't feel that we've really gotten a good test of our secondary yet. Uh, they've been like generally pretty good, but also... It's been against either like run oriented or just really overmatched offenses. So we don't actually know how good. So it'll be good to find out. Or maybe it won't be good, but I hope it'll be good. All right. So now now for the real the real question. Uh right now, Texas currently favored by eight points, according to Caesars sports book. Favored by eight, over under sixty one and a half. So what is your prediction for the final score uh on Saturday, Noah? I don't know why I do this to myself, uh, but I'm going to go like, let's go 38, 38, 20. So a yeah. little more than double the actual uh, line on the game. Yeah, it's 
See, the thing is, I think like whenever I try to do this, I'm like, how do I expect the offense to perform? How do I expect the defense to perform? And I come out somewhere around 38 to 20, and then I'm like, wait, we're not winning this game by 18. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I think we cover. I, I certainly think that we win, and I guess I'll just go with 38 20 just because I can't think of anything better. Well, I'm, I'm going 38 27. I think Texas Tech's offense, especially as you kind of was going to be more effective than we think. I think it's, I don't remember his first name, but Brooks, the running back for Texas Tech, uh, I think he's also pretty good. I think our, our defense is going to have some hiccups there. Hopefully we can continue the current one-game streak that PK is back on for holding teams under 30 points. 38-27, a little bit closer, still covering for Texas, still hitting that over for the over-under. But yeah, I, I think the offense, I, I'm not scared of Tech's defense at all. So I expect whether it's Hudson Card or Casey Thompson at any point in the game, I, expo- I expect the quarterback will play well. I expect Bijan will play well. Worthy and Whittington will get their chances. Wiley will get their, his chances. So I'm not worried about the offense performing, but I, I am interested to see how the defense handles a team that has legit playmakers on offense. Yeah, and you know what? I'll Okay, I'll change my prediction. 38-30. There we go. My, the 20 was based on my trust in PK, but there are, I think there are more question marks on the defense than I sometimes like to acknowledge. So 38-30, final answer. Locking it in. 38-30 for Noah. 38-27 for me. We like the 38s. Uh, is really the lesson here. But thanks for listening to us babble about Texas football for another episode. Make sure you check us out off the pod on Instagram and Twitter at at the FSS podcast and give us feedback as well as interact with us on those social media sites. Make sure you follow Hornscast on whatever podcasting platform you're listening on and check out the other great shows on the network. Make sure you hit us up on the hot take line like Keith did this week. Uh, during and after the game let us know your thoughts that phone number again is 512-677-4578 Noah you got any final thoughts before we sign off well um, you know what? okay yeah sure I'll get it out there one of the funniest things that kind of got lost in all the Aggie meltdown was OU's disdain for 11 a.m. kickoffs and how that led to (laughs) to the collapse of the Big 12 and, you know, I thought it was really funny, and I kind of laughed at OU for making it out to be such a big deal. But now it's like I'm planning my trip up to Austin. I'm like, man, I really hate 11 a.m. kickoffs. Uh, <laughs> so now I'm, like, kind of starting to sympathize. But, yeah, that was that was kind of it. We will see you all next week with another episode, hopefully discussing a 3-1 and Texas Longhorns football team on their way to Fort Worth to face TCU. Until that time, hook them. Hook <laughs> them.